0: In this world, there are more stories than reasons to vote in an off-year election. Some are social issues, some are fiscal, some are seriously register to vote. It's vital and important to a democratic process. Not just America, everywhere. And if you can't vote in your home country, just print up your own ballot and have a pretend vote in your house, like elect your cat Prime Minister of the Closet. But they're all worth the enfranchising, so open your ballot box wide and listen. Welcome to Brushtown Stories, episode 24, from the Diary of Bernard Glouch, The Toothful Life.
1: From the Diary of Bernard Glouch, World Traveler. We were at the mercy of the ya Cult, a toothless Oriental pseudo-religious order in Taipei, Taiwan. Their leader, the beautiful but deadly Pai Han, had captured both Chapman Heath and myself. Chapman and I had come to Taiwan hoping to find a clue as to the location of the Ark of the Expulsion, a holy object that was rumored to contain the first defecation of Adam and with it, the seeds to the Tree of Knowledge. I was also looking for evidence of early Dentite civilizations in the Old World. It was rumored that the Ark was brought with a group of Dentites to China seeking religious freedom. The Ya'chi cult, to whom we were currently prisoner, were formed later, but also worshipped the Urtu, Sort of, but they believed my tooth-worshipping ways were an anathema to their tooth-worshipping ways, whereas I felt their tooth-worshipping ways was a usurping abomination to my true tooth-worshipping ways. Our spiritual enamel arguments had come to an end when the cult-brandishing knives advanced toward Heath and me. All in all, this was quite the troubling situation. You and your dumb teeth are going to get us killed, Heath seethed as he struggled against his bindings. I had to think quickly as those knives were getting closer and seemingly sharper by the second. Suddenly, in as forceful a tone as I could manage, I declared, I demand trial by tooth? This caught Paihan off guard. She was unfamiliar with the request. It was a common way of meeting out justice in Numola. There was a whole by Caspidian judicial system, but the federal government had forced us to disband it when they enacted the Stopping All That Mormon, Adventist, and Other Rascals Nonsense Decree in 1898. So our tooth-based justice system became more simplified and hidden as to avoid detection by the national authorities. But being a good dentite, I was well versed in trial by tooth. The Yatshi cult was a bit baffled by my request. They turned to Pai Han for guidance. She turned her dagger over in her hands. I then explained it was a trial by combat to prove the innocence in a fair fight of fisticuffs. Pai Han nodded. She then called for Ren Shan. From another room, a giant man appeared. He was bigger than the doorway, and his meaty fists were bigger than Mrs. Brule's prized hams. An old man with a knife cut me free of my bonds and gestured to Renshan, who had just then picked up a boulder and broken it into pebbles. I wondered what the boulder was for, Heath said. It didn't go with the furniture. Renshan then ate several of the larger rocks. Even without teeth, he was able to crush them in his maw, Oh dear, I thought. I then realized the error of my challenge. In fact, I was not very well disciplined in fisticuffs. I needed to get out of this. I clarified that I could not fight this man mountain because he had no teeth. And the untooth cannot judge the tooth. This was lucky, as all the Yachi cult members had removed their teeth in devotion to their heavenly molar master. I would win on a technicality. But then... Pai Han smiled. I had forgotten. She had kept her teeth because she was female, and it was said only male teeth were corrupt, but female teeth shone with the white pearls of truth, according to their dogmatist doggerel. But certainly, she wouldn't fight me but being wrong was the order of the day as she then ripped off her gown and underneath was a sort of leotard that would give her the perfect maneuverability for fighting she then cracked her knuckles and took on a fighting stance this was no good i certainly was not comfortable in combat against a woman not that it was unknown to me in truth back home i was often at the receiving end of violence by the fairer sex the prime example being matilda glorm who used to steal my socks and beat me about the face and neck after school her long sweep of red curly hair swishing this way and that as she'd mercilessly pummel me until one day i took my sock filled it with small frogs, and then poured the amphibians onto her pre-supper sandwich. She'd eat this sandwich to give her the requisite amount of energy for beating me. This defiling of her sandwich so upset her, she refused to fight me, and instead spent the remainder of our school years together ignoring me. Later, she, in fact, would write a Roman cliff novel, which painted me as a foppish dandy. I wrote to the editors to have this libel pulled from print, but I never received a reply. That, though, was then. In my current situation, I was devoid of frogs, and therefore I knew there was no way I could best pie hand in fair combat. I would have to use what was at hand, my wits. I started speaking without thinking because I find that if one just keeps talking, a solution will eventually come. ''Oh no,'' I said. ''Trial by tooth isn't combat combat. It's a different combat. A combat unlike other combat.'' The cult members looked around confused. The ones who understood English were explaining my words to their comrades. I kept prattling on until Pai Han quickly and angrily gave some commands in Chinese. The cult members let out a unified cry. Some of them tore their robes. Pai Han then silenced them by jamming her dagger into a wooden pillar. She walked toward me, her black eyes narrowed as she tented her fingers. Her gold earrings seemed to shine in the murky darkness of the room. She smiled, but there was no joy in it. She said that words are dust, and she kept a clean house. That I must state the terms immediately or face instant death. She put her lips to my ear. I could feel her hot breath on my lobe. Name your... Terms, she hissed. Being backed into this metaphorical literal corner was no good. My mind went blank, then double blank, and then so blank that blank seemed to be a world filled with colours. My mouth trembled, and then one word hit my mind, one poor foolish word. Dance, I said, and with that I got to my feet and I began to cut a rug. It was desperate, it was herky-jerky, but it was dance, my dance, a dance to save my life. Heath shot me a puzzled look and tried to gesture for me to stop. But I was already plowing ahead full steam into a Charleston. Luckily, I had gone to a few music halls during my short tenure in Paris, so I was familiar with many of the latest crazes. I had even visited a rag bar and saw Josephine Baker in her famed banana costume. My hoofing was not nearly as ducky, but my passion was pure. The ear tooth shined luck upon me. For what I didn't know was that Pai Han was unable to dance. Her sense of rhythm was vestigial at best. She tried to meet me in the arena of dance, but it was a one-sided affair. She clopped and hopped, but it was as if all sense of music had been stripped from her bones by an atonal surgeon. The whole mood in the room darkened as they realized their leader had two left feet. By the time I was deep into my lindy-hop, she admitted defeat. With that, the Yachi cult let us go. As we headed back into the street... Pai Han asked if she could see me again. And though I was a bit apprehensive, she did poison and try to kill me. I agreed. During the next couple of weeks, as Heath tried to plan an excursion into mainland China, Pai Han and I met several times for lunch. Over dumplings and soup, we struck up a true friendship. We discussed the nature of the tooth, debated the finer philosophy of gums, and would stay out walking until late in the evening. She still ran the cult and worked to overthrow the Japanese oppressors, but I enjoyed that she was a career woman with goals and plans. Heath's attempts to enter China were foiled again and again. It was simply too dangerous. So I started working with Pai Han in her shop, and as the months passed, we ended up living together. I once asked her if she wanted to marry, but she said I was not worthy of her and instead wanted to keep things as they were. Heath worked helping European merchants get permits to sell dry goods. We settled into a relatively stable life on this small island in the giant sea. We would gain little bits of information from sailors and scoundrels regarding the Ark, but nothing provable or concrete, and eventually Heath got work with the French in Indochina. He asked if I wanted to go, but I had tired of adventuring and Pai Han's cult was having an election and I wanted to help her secure another term as their leader. One day visiting a tea house in Maokong, I suggested we start a family. She laughed it off and said that foreigners were so ordinary with boring ideas. That night we laid out in the tea field and watched the stars. At one point she took my hand and put it on her heart. It beat in a strange, arrhythmic way that I'd never previously noticed. She said that if she were to have a child, her heart could not handle it. And then she said it didn't matter, because I was all the child she could handle. Plus, why was I so arrogant to think that she should deal with having more of me around? About a year later, when I was at the antique shop, a small red imp appeared and delivered a note saying Bullet had given birth to twins. They were both girls and had the cutest forked tails, according to the message. Her and the demon had ended up on an island in Greece and started a small shipping business. I gave the imp a small jade figure to give to them. It doffed its horns and then vanished in a puff of purple smoke. Pye Han and I celebrated anniversaries, birthdays, holidays... Both hers and mine. I baked her a cherry pie for my nation's most important holiday, Washington's birthday. And even though we'd spent years in each other's arms, we still found plenty to discuss. One seemingly ordinary afternoon, we'd been debating why, if the Urtooth's ways were so pure, was there still plaque? And was plaque fuzz? She smiled, watching me. The small crow's feet that now lived in the corner of her eyes made her all the more beautiful to me. I was just about to compare the elder fuzz to the new sweater movement when there was a loud banging on our door. Before we could answer it, Heath burst in, his face flushed red, and he was out of breath. I have found it! The proof we need! The Ark! The early dentites, All of it! He was talking between gasps. He had run all the way from the port. We must leave now! Oh, it's amazing! A Portuguese explorer, and there's no time, man! Come, come! <sighs> I looked at Heath, a man I'd not seen in years, and I looked back at Pai Han, in our home, and all the years we'd made our own. I knew what needed to be done. So, of course, I went with Heath and we left on the next ship.
0: Rushtown Stories is a Roy Gold production. It was written by Jonathan Goldberg with music by David Origlieri. Bernard Glouch is James Kennedy. Find out more about the show and cast at podmusical.com. Find out what happens to all your favorite characters on season two of The Fall of the House of Sunshine coming March 2018. Find out what happens after the world ends on season two of The Fall of the House of Sunshine coming March 2018. Thanks for listening and have a suntabulous bicuspid of a day.